Good morning again, great Oakwood family. I was with you last week on video, and here I am this week to introduce our guest speaker for today, Doug Schmidt. Uh, so much to say about Doug. I could never do it justice. A very talented pastor for many years, and what he's been doing recently is helping mentor other young pastors, and uh, I'm just thankful for his ministry. I'm thankful for his friendship in my life. I'm thankful to have a, a voice that I could call who's been there, done that, and has good advice, godly advice, and uh, I just can't say enough about how much I appreciate Doug Schmidt. So I'm hoping that you today will be encouraged by his preaching. Uh, I'm grateful for him. He's bailing me out today and doing a wedding for me. Uh, I'm in Texas currently speaking at a couples retreat. Julie and I traveled there to speak to several couples encouraging marriages and uh, because of that, Doug's filling in this morning, and he'll be uh, doing a wedding for me this afternoon. Doug, double duty, thank you so much. I owe you big time. God bless. Have a great day. Uh, thanks for reminding me about that wedding I'm supposed to be doing. Well, it's always a delight to be with you. I'm a big fan of uh, Pastor Don PD and his wife, Julie, and just love uh, them and love the ministry that they've had here all through the years. And I'm uh, very, very thankful for it. I think this is my third time speaking here. How many have been and heard me the other two times? And you came back today. Wow. <laughs> I'm impressed. I want to talk to you today about fear. Um, when you look up fear or phobias in the uh, Google it, and you'll come up with 60, 70, 80 kinds of phobias. How many of you are afraid of insects? Nobody. One? How about snakes? How about speaking in public? Uh, me too. Um, how many? My wife is uh, afraid of close spaces called claustrophobia. How many are like my wife? Just doesn't like uh, the penned in close spaces. How many of you are afraid of heights? How are you? How many of, how about mice? Afraid of mice? Yeah. How many are afraid of everything I've mentioned so far? <laughs> so in, in, right, this is the time of the year that you see advertisements out where you can go to a haunted house and be scared. We don't need haunted houses for that. We're living in a scary world, aren't we? There's so much in our world where we just say, what is going on? What is, why is it changed? How has it changed so rapidly? A lot of people fear death or fear not, not just death, but the dying experience. Solomon, when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, wrote in their section in chapter 9 where he says, every philosophy of life has to pass the acid test. And the acid test is the death experience. If a philosophy of life can't handle the death experience, that philosophy of life is not worth living, right? It has to handle death. So, fear. I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture this morning where God says you don't need to be afraid. Isaiah chapter 43, if you want to join me, if you have your Bibles or devices. If not, there'll be, uh, the, the verses will be on the screen here this morning. But let me give you a little bit of context for Isaiah chapter 43. The children of Israel had been living in sin. They're God's chosen people. God said to them, I'm yours and you're mine. Um, you're special. But they lived in sin. At times they had idols. They worshiped idols. At times they worshiped other gods. They had ignored the Sabbath day. 
And as a result, God was going to take them into captivity. And so in chapter 42, God's words to them are, are, are sharp, and they're hard, and they're harsh. And then in chapter 43, there seems to be a break where he shifts, and, and the words are comforting, and the words are, are words of consolation, words of encouragement. And he says to them, don't be afraid. Three times he says that to them, don't be afraid. Altogether, in the entire Bible, 365 times the words will appear, do not be afraid. When you look just at the Gospels, the Gospels contain about, when Jesus spoke, about 125 different commands or imperatives. Uh, where love, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the one commandment that appears most often is when Jesus said words like, don't be afraid or be of good courage. I find it fascinating and encouraging that God knew that I would be afraid. And he acknowledged it. And he met me at my moment of need and said, don't. Don't be afraid. And this passage is going to give us three uh, reasons why we don't need to be afraid. I was, uh, one of the verses I'll often share as people are going into the hospital and I'm meeting with them, I'll share those words, uh, the Lord is my strength and my salvation. Of what shall I fear? Psalm 27 or Psalm 46, the Lord is my refuge and strength. Therefore, what do we need to fear? If we know God, the answer to fear is faith, but not faith in anything, faith in God. And God says, you don't need to be afraid. Let me give you those three reasons. And the children of Israel were desperately in need of these words because of their disobedience, and they're about ready to be carried off into captivity. Notice the first reason found in verses 1 and 2, where he says to them, Now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, uh, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. There is so much in those two verses, isn't there? That's one reason you don't need to be afraid. Here it is. Because God created you, he formed you, he redeemed you, and he calls you by name. And he says, you are mine. You say, wait a minute. This is written to the children of Israel. This wasn't written to us. You're right. It was written to the community of faith in the Old Testament, those who were trusting in Yahweh, who had that covenant relationship and were believing in him and his revelation by faith. When we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, and we're New Testament saints, and we can align with them, and we can claim these promises, we can claim this relationship. That where God says to us, he says, I created you. I created you. I love those verses in, in the book of Genesis where God says, let us make man in our image. And God made man in his image. We're in the selem or image of God where God says, you are my representatives here on earth that I've placed in you those communicable attributes of dominionship, of, of, of purity, of truth. And you're to be my representatives 
on this earth. Uh, uh, animals are incapable of doing it, but I've created you to do it. He has creative rights to us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, I formed you. I formed you. He says to Jeremiah, I formed you in your mother's womb. He created us. He formed us into them as a nation. He did the same. Remember to Abram, he said uh, in, in Genesis chapter 12, he says to Abram, who was in the Ur of the Chaldees, he says, come out from your country and out of your kindred and come to a land that I'm going to show you. And Abram followed. Abram was a polytheist. He worshipped many gods in the area now called Iraq. He followed God, moved, came down to the land of Canaan after this migration. And God had this special relationship. And from him would come a great nation. And God would fulfill his promises, give him a seed, land, and a promise. And from him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. He says, you're mine. I created you as a nation. And I created you as individuals. I have creative rights. I formed you. Then he says, I redeemed you. To redeem means to buy out of bondage. The illustration, the word illustration, comes from uh, the uh, New Testament times. The Roman world, they had what they called an agora. Agora is just uh, a marketplace. In fact, agoraphobia is fear of crowds in the marketplace. Um, so the word agora was the marketplace. And what happened at that time in the Roman world, there was so much slavery going on. Slavery then and now is a horrible thing. And people were placed on a slave block. And this is just, it's inhumane, but people would come by and look and bid on that slave. Check the slave to see that he or she was in good health, had good teeth so there wouldn't be any problems. And then they would, they would bid on that slave. And the Bible says, there's a word that, that means redeem. There are a couple words that translate redeem. This word means ex agarazzo, to buy out of the marketplace. And the picture is there of God through Jesus Christ saying to each one of us who are on that slave block of sin, I'm buying you off and from sin and I'm setting you free. You're no longer a slave to sin, but a bond slave to Jesus Christ. He did that for Israel. He brought them out of bondage and they were never supposed to forget it. Remember he said they were in Egypt and they were living in Egypt. They were being abused there. Um, they had no life, and God raised up Moses, and Moses was going to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Pharaoh said, no, you can't go, and then changed his mind. You know the story. And he led them, he led them out, led them through the Red Sea, and the sea collapsed on the Egyptian army, and he saved them, and, and they continued on, and he provided for them time and time again through, through the manna, through the quail, and through the water. He was constantly doing that because they had a relationship. And all the prophets, minor prophets and major prophets, as they wrote in the Old Testament, always reminded the people, remember who you are. You were redeemed out of bondage. They were never, ever supposed to forget it. And so are we. We're never, ever supposed to forget it. In fact, um, the New Testament church was described, he says, you're a chosen people a special generation raised up by God. The Bible tells us as well as in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20, what? You're not your own. Don't you know that? You're bought with a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God's. So God has creative rights to us, and he has redemptive rights. My, I have a one daughter. I have two daughters, but one daughter would always say growing up, she did it in jest. We would tell her to do something, and she, she would say, I'll do what I want to do. Have you ever been like that? I'll do what I want to do. So now I use that on her. She's 36 years old, and she'll say, Dad, can you come over and watch the kids? I said, I'll do what I want to do. (laughs) We're not our own folks. We're redeemed. We're bought with a price. Our responsibility here on this earth is to glorify God in our bodies and in our spirits, which are God's. We're not our own. He's, He's redeemed us. He's called us. He's formed us. He calls us by name. The sweetest word in our language is our own name. We love to hear our own name. Imagine for a second the God of the universe calling you by name. Wow. He knows every hair on your head. Every hair. He calls us by name. He knows all about us. Therefore, we don't need to be afraid. There's a passage in in the book of Romans where God reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. For him who... For those he foreknew, he also predestined those he predestined. And you know the... He's done all of this for us. He's, he's got a plan for us. From the beginning of time, he knew our name. Before we were born, before our parents were born. And he's got a plan for us that in, involved redemption, that involved glorification, when we're going to be with him forever. And along the way, be, be, between from eternity past, from knowing our name, to eternity in the future, we're glorified in his presence. We live in this life on earth, which is a little segment of time that's filled with hard times, difficulties. And oftentimes we say, I don't want this. I didn't order this. In this little segment of time, there's nothing compared to eternity. The perfect world is never meant to be now. The perfect world is yet to come. And in this segment of time, there are all kinds of things that want to challenge our peace and fill us with fear. God said, no, you don't need to be afraid because I called you by name. I formed you, I created you, and I redeemed you. And not only that, no matter what you're going through in this life, I'm going to go through it with you. If you go through the waters, I'll go through it with you. And he did that for the children of Israel. Through the Red Sea, Joshua chapter 3, through the Jordan River, he went through the waters with them. They were never alone. When you go through the fire, the, the, the Old Testament saints had a beautiful illustration of that from the book of Daniel. Remember the three Hebrew children? They said, bow down and worship the image. Well, we're not going to. Well, if you don't bow down and worship the image, there's a fire prepared for you. And you'd be placed in that fire. And heat it up, was it seven times? Heat that thing out, that furnace up. 
And they said, if I can paraphrase, they said, you can throw us in the fire. And our God is able to save us. He may not save us, but he's able to do it. But regardless, we're not going to bow down to this image. And in the fire, there were not three, but there were four. And the fourth was like unto the Son of Man. Recently, I was visiting Mayo Clinic in Rochester, uh, where my brother-in-law has been uh, in ICU for four, five weeks. He was in ICU and all kinds of tubes and wires hooked up to him. And at night he was alone, but never alone because of whom he knew. He knew Jesus. And the day he, he passed from this life unto the next, his five children stood around his bed, and I have a video of it, and they sang in harmony when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows row. It is well, it is well with my soul. Are you afraid today? Don't be afraid. Because God formed you, he created you, he redeemed you, he calls you by name. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're going through, you say, I created my own mess. No matter what you're going through, God will go through it with you. That's reason number one. Does anybody need another reason not to be afraid? Let me give you one just so you can share it with others in case they're afraid, okay? The second reason is because God, because God loves us. Notice we read in verses five and six, or three and four. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sheba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in exchange for you, people in exchange for your life. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. God was saying this to a nation that he had redeemed, to people that he called by name. He says, you are precious in my eyes, and I love you. There's nothing I wouldn't give for you. And he says that to them, and he says it to us. I had a friend uh, um, four years ago now. He went to be with the Lord, uh, Mike Feasy. But I never had a conversation with Mike, whether it be... A, a golf course or the hallway of a church where Mike didn't hug me and he said, Doug, I love you. I love you. We love to hear those words. I was introduced to a man back in December of uh, 19, or 2019. A very wealthy man who I was dying of a pancreatic cancer, and I was introduced to him as somebody who could possibly help him. So I met with him for three hours uh, one, one afternoon in, in, um, in December of 2019. We got to know each other, and then he went down, moved to uh, 
did his winters in Naples, and because of COVID, he couldn't come back. Um, and we would talk on the phone, or we would text every two or three weeks. And I would close every conversation by saying, Gil, I'm praying for you, and I love you. We talk about Jesus. He didn't know Jesus yet. We talk about Jesus. We talked about his obstacles to faith. He's a brilliant, brilliant lawyer who needed proof for his faith. And so I would give him books to read, and he'd order those books before we get off the phone. But every conversation, I'd say, and Gil, you know I'm praying for you, and you know I love you. And Gil would say, Doug, I love you too. November, he came to know Jesus. He came to know Jesus. He came back up here for a couple of months. Uh, The cancer that he thought he'd been cured of came back. And we were having lunch uh, one day at a country club here about a month ago. And arranging, we were going through a discipleship book together on growing deeper. And as we left, I said, Gil, I love you. He said, I love you too. And he called me. We were supposed to meet at his house a week later. He called me the day of. He says, I'm not doing well. He said, I, I, don't, I don't have it together for our meeting this afternoon. I said, I understand. And I said, Gil, I love you. He said, I love you too. I said, Gil, I have one more question for you. Are you trusting in Jesus alone for your salvation? And he came alive. He said, absolutely. I'm trusting in Jesus. And he died about two weeks ago. Went to be with the Lord. When I see those words, I love you, all these memories come back of people who've said that to me and I've said it to them. But this is not people now. This is the God of the universe saying, I love you. I wish there was a way I could connect those dots in each one of our minds. We know that as a theological truth, don't we? That God loves us. But if we really believe that, it would change our lives and change our attitudes. I have to confess to you that for, uh, I believe that, but I didn't behave that for many years, even into years as a pastor of a church. I believe God loved me. At the same time, I kept thinking that if, if the church wasn't growing fast enough or if enough people weren't coming to know Jesus, then God was displeased with me. And I kept having to feel like I had to perform to keep the love of God coming. Have you ever felt like that? That you've messed up and you don't even like yourself and wondered if God has stopped liking you? That's the way I lived as a pastor. And then about probably 30 years ago, I was on a fishing trip. And I was reading a book on a rainy day in a tent. And that book God used to, to just shower over me the blessings of his love and the fact that it's unconditional. The very fact that I could love my son and daughters and wife and a church is because God first loved me. That there's nothing I could do, you've heard this before, but to really believe it, there's nothing I could do that could cause God to love me anymore, or there's nothing I could do to mess up that could cause God to say, you're done. I don't love you anymore. 
His love for me is unconditional and it's deep and it's rich and it's expressed. That was so liberating for me to finally believe and to behave what I thought I believed and that is God loves me. We sang about it this morning. The Apostle John once wrote 1 John chapter 3 and it's hard to translate from the Greek language the, the emotion that he had in those words because he used a Greek idiom and it's almost like from what world could the love of God come from that I could be called sons, that we could be called sons and daughters of his, that he loves us. And he wouldn't let anything come into our lives that could hurt us. Reason number one, we don't need to be afraid. Because he created us, he formed us, he redeemed us, he calls us by name, and he's going to go through the fire and go through the water with us. Secondly, easier to remember, he loves us. God loves you. He loves you. You say, just the way I am? Yeah. Just the way I am. Just the way you are. He loves you. Let me give you a third reason, then we're done. The third reason we find in verse number five, six, and seven, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, uh, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. The scripture says here that God <clears throat> will always keep his promises. But these people were saying, wait a minute, we've sinned against you. We're yours, you're ours. You've called us precious. You say you love us. But now we're going to be taken off into captivity. What about the promise you made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, that you were going to give us this land and this would be our land? And now we're leaving that land. And to them, God says, you're leaving it, but you'll be back. Seventy years later, was the fulfillment of that. They started coming back in the migrations from the captivity. But even beyond that seven-year fulfillment, it's being fulfilled today, where Jews are migrating from Russia and from Eastern Europe and from other parts of the world to the land that God had promised. God always keeps his promises, doesn't he? You think of all the promises he's made to us in the Bible. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. To where I am, there you may be also. You don't need to be afraid. Because God says, I'll always keep my promises. Always. Are you afraid today? Afraid of death? Afraid of cancer? Afraid of COVID? I'm not saying we shouldn't take precautions. I'm not saying we shouldn't have good diets. 
We have to have good exercise, all of that. But I'm saying, folks, we don't need to live in fear because we have a God who's made some promises to us and will keep them. A God who says to us, I love you and you're precious in my sight. We don't use the word precious much, do we? We men don't and we're proud of it. My wife had this collection, Precious Moments. Any of you ladies know about that? Uh, You can get them in garage sales. In fact, you might be able to get them in our garage sale. (laughs) But God says you're precious. If we have important guests over at our house for dinner, and we'll have a nice time talking around, but my wife has put out all of the special plates. And she'll put out all of the serving dishes that she's got from... uh, from Switzerland, for her heritages, from generations past. And at the end of the evening, as our guests leave, and we get up from the table, and they walk out the front door, we lead them there, and, uh, and we come back into the, our dining room, and I'll say, uh, I'll help you clean up. And she'll say as kindly but firmly, don't touch anything. <laughs> don't touch anything. Why? Because those glasses aren't Detroit Tiger glasses. We got 12 for three bucks, you know. These are precious. These are precious. They have a value that goes beyond dollars and cents. And God says, you are precious in my sight. Later on, the psalmist said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Okay, you got it? We don't need to be... Okay, fill in the blank here, folks. Because I, I don't want to go through this all over again, but we, if we... You don't need to be afraid. Because God created you, he formed you, he redeemed you, he calls you by name, he goes through the fire with you, whatever storms you go through, whatever, however deep the waters, you're never in it alone. And then he loves you, and then he keeps, we're a little weak on the third there, he keeps his promises. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would throw your arms around us today in a way that we feel your presence and the strength of your embrace. That, Father, no matter what we're going through today uh, as individuals or as families, that, Father, may we know that we don't ever need to be afraid. Drill that deep into the hearts of each one of us today for your glory, and may we live in victory. May we live in peace. In Jesus' name, amen.